Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Hannah Sung. I'm a journalist, but I'm also just a regular person with feelings. And I sometimes feel overwhelmed with the big topics. Climate change, how to raise a family without messing it all up, and oh yeah, this pandemic. But being overwhelmed is not going to help us, and getting perspective will. Subscribe to my newsletter at the end of the day for a people-first perspective on the news. Go to endoftheday.ca. Artists can't give you a vaccine or tell leaders how to reopen the economy, but they do give you Netflix to binge watch, music for your daily walks, and books, so many books. Janice Price knows why we turn to the artists in a crisis. She's the president of the Banff Center, and for years, she has seen governments turn to artists to rebuild cities. How can we rebuild through the arts this time? Welcome to the conversation piece. This is Janice Price from the Walrus Talks Resilience. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Janice Price, and I am the president of the Banff Centre. The Banff Centre is one of Canada's largest arts and cultural organizations. It's unique in the global arts ecosystem due to its ability to support an artistic creation from the first glimmer of an idea in an artist's mind through to fruition. And we do this through creation residencies in which artists are given the tools and, most importantly, the time to hone their work on our beautiful campus. I have been in Alberta for only seven months. So the focus of what I'll share with you this evening on the theme of resilience and how I have seen the arts play a role in communities comes from my experience at the helm of cultural organizations elsewhere in Canada and in the U.S. in my 30-plus years in the field. But I do know that the arts community here rose to the occasion during the floods and in many other challenging times in Alberta. And the first case I'm going to talk to you about is a provincial and federal government joint investment that began in the early 2000s and extended for nearly a decade, the Ontario Cultural Superbuild Program, which saw nearly $1 billion invested in the cultural infrastructure assets of Toronto. This investment was meant to support Toronto in claiming its global place alongside London, New York, and other leading cultural cities, driving cultural tourism, and providing the vital cultural scene that is required, as we all know, to attract highly skilled workers to our urban communities. And the cultural superbuild was motivated by a desire to improve and sustain a premier cultural sector that could in turn provide more stability to the sector and ensure organizational resiliency during future times of economic strife. Yes, it was only 2000 the last time we were going through this economic stress. The Superbuild cultural funding was allocated to seven established arts organizations with shovel-ready infrastructure projects ranging from the Royal Ontario Museum to the new home of the Canadian Opera Company and the National Ballet of Canada. 
And at the same time, at the municipal level, Toronto passed a visionary cultural plan to bolster its creative class and claim an enhanced place in the global entertainment and creative economy. The Superbuild and Cultural Plan are examples of what I would call proactive resilience, which perhaps sounds a little counterintuitive to how we might traditionally think of that word, resilience. Often we think of resilience as the end result of enduring and overcoming difficult challenges, a measure of how you weathered those challenges, and a large impetus for the cultural superbuild, however, was about creating an environment that allowed organizations to thrive regardless of any economic downturn, the one of that day or the ones in the future. So I see that cultural superbuild as an example of intentional, proactive, uh, perhaps even preemptive resilience. Then came my time at Luminato, Toronto's annual festival of arts and creativity. Luminato was partly born out of a very negative time in Toronto. The positive motivation to launch the festival, one that took advantage of that preemptive resilience of the cultural superbuild, was the desire to showcase those new cultural infrastructure and buildings that had been 10 years in the making. But many of you also know what happened in the spring of 2003 in Toronto. 2003 was when the SARS epidemic hit the city, with many cases of the disease affecting residents, even resulting, sadly, in some fatalities. The world's media was intensely focused on Canada during this period. The World Health Organization advised travelers not to visit the city, and the ban actually affected many markets across the country. Tourism took a huge hit. Thousands of hospitality sector jobs were lost, and the negative impact on the Toronto economy and the global reputation of the city was devastating. So Toronto needed something to bring back its shine to provide the citizens with renewed pride. And two civic leaders and businessmen, David Pico and Tony Galliano, saw the need to showcase the new cultural infrastructure while at the same time repairing the damaged global brand of Toronto. So they began discussing an idea that was to become Luminato. They knew that arts and culture could be the exact antidote required and they discovered in their research that no international caliber multi-arts festival like the Edinburgh, Hong Kong, or Sydney festivals existed anywhere in North America. So they shared this idea with me as they recruited for the festival's first CEO, and they spoke compellingly about the civic imperative behind the artistic concept, the festival's potential to positively impact Toronto's economy and its developing global cultural brand. Excited by their vision, I left my post in Philadelphia to become Luminato's founding CEO. Uh, launched in June of 2007, Luminato managed to build a 10-day festival that in its first year saw 1,300 local and 214 international artists showcase works in 30 venues across the downtown Toronto core. So what we saw Luminato do in Toronto was not only attract cultural tourists and act as an economic driver, but also revitalize artistic communities and provide the city with an asset that has become an international calling card. The festival helped provide a signal of cultural richness and health for Toronto, and it was robust and resilient enough after two successful festivals to survive 
the economic downturn of 2008. Today, the festival's impact on the city is calculated in the hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenue, retail spending, employment for artists, and tourism dollars. Resilience coming from that terrible situation with SARS. And then finally, I'd like to speak to the power our artistic spaces have as communal gathering places and demonstrate how the cultural sector can be a true support network for a city during times when resilience is essential. It's September of 2001, when I was the interim president of Lincoln Center in New York City, I received a call from New York Mayor Rudolph Giuliani. It was three days following the September 11th attacks on the city. Mayor Giuliani pleaded with me and Lincoln Center Chair Beverly Sills to reopen the theaters and the concert halls on the Lincoln Center campus. Mr. Mayor, I replied, the artists we were scheduled to present are trapped in cities in Europe and around North America, unable to get to New York City while our airports remain closed. His response, this is New York City for bleep's sake, the cultural capital of the world. Surely you have some friends in town. <laughs> we did in fact have on our doorstep the renowned Emerson String Quartet and we knew them well. They came and they played on a Sunday afternoon at Avery Fisher Hall. We invited the entire community to come in to hear the free concert, which was broadcast on PBS, and it was prefaced with a short talk that I had prepared for Ms. Sales. She echoed what His Honor had told us three days earlier. In those post 9-11 days, our citizens needed more than ever the refuge of beauty, humanity, and civilization that the best of our art artists provide. They needed to gather in a communal space and escape through the arts. The arts inspired their resilience as a community in this incredibly challenging time. So I'll leave you with a quote to finish off my time. Gotta go back to Churchill. You have likely heard the famous Winston Churchill quote. It was his response to critics who asked why he would not divert funds from the arts to pay for the war. And Churchill said, if we shut down the theaters, then what are we fighting for? <laughs> While fond as I am of that quote as a lifelong arts administrator, I discovered in my preparations for this evening's talk that apparently Churchill never said that. It's a completely apocryphal story with respect to its attribution to Churchill. Um, I would like to believe, of course, that someone did in fact say it, and it is a testament um, to the role of culture in ensuring resilient cities. However, not to leave you disappointed on the Churchill front, I can reliably quote him as saying, on April 30th of 1938 at the Royal Academy of Art, the arts are essential to any complete national life. The state owes it to itself to sustain and encourage them. Ill fares the race, which fails to salute the arts with the reverence and delight which are their due. Thank you. Janice Price from the Banff Center, one of the over 800 brilliant Canadians who have graced the stage at the Walrus Talks. Wish you'd been there? Wish granted. Our YouTube channel is the place to find all the Walrus Talks, and we're coming to a city near you, live and in person as soon as physically possible. 
Until then, stay in touch with our events newsletter. Find it at thewalrus.ca slash newsletters. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.